morning, guys. This on, mic's working. Thank you, Leah and David and Alex and Will, special guest, drummer Will. Um, I want to apologize really quick for the last time I preached. I know it was like two months ago. Um, Will gave me four verses and I took 45 minutes. He gave me four verses again today, so I'm going to try to like cut that in half or so. I'm going to try not to go 45 minutes. Huh? <laughs> I'm gonna, I said I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Um, I, I want to thank you guys too um, for being the church that, that trusts the elders and trust when God speaks, um, uh, regardless of my discomfort getting up here or uh, any stress that I get with preaching, I know that God has given Will this direction for this year to go and prepare sermons, and uh, that means that I've got to help out some. So I trust God, and I thank you guys for trusting God too, for giving me this opportunity to be uncomfortable and allowing God to speak to me as he speaks to us. Um, so where we are in Luke, which I hope that as you guys are studying Luke, like I said last time, you're seeing it from the big picture, knowing that God had a plan, he had a plan from the beginning, he's got a plan all the way through the end, and we can trust in that. So today we're going to read uh, Luke 2, 21 through 24, um, and I, my sermon today is titled, uh, The Obedience of Mary and Joseph. There's not a lot of stories from Jesus' childhood that we know of, of Mary and Joseph. So this little bit of four verses, there's a lot packed in here. So I want to I be able to get this to you guys and see why God chose Mary and Joseph and also uh, maybe some questions you could ask yourself, why did God choose you for the things that he has in your life? Um, just to, to look at those. So let's read the scripture. So Luke 2, chapters 21 through 24, excuse me, Verses 21 through 24, we're not reading chapters 21 through 24. So, 21, and when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So, point number one, these four verses are about Mary and Joseph's obedience. They obeyed God's word. So, the very specific word that God gave them was to name the baby Jesus, right? That seems like a very straightforward command. Um, but let's look back at those exact commands. So Luke one thirty one. if y'all want to turn back one page in your Bible, this first, uh, we're going to look at a lot of scripture, but this first one's very easy. You just got to turn back one page. So one thirty one. And behold, you will conceive, remember this is Gabriel talking to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Let's go back to Matthew, just one book back, but Matthew 1, verse 20 and 21. So this is um, Gabriel speaking to Joseph. All right, Matthew 1, 20. 21, but when he had considered this, behold, 
So remember, Joseph's considering what he's going to do with Mary because he just found out Mary is pregnant. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. So pretty straightforward command, name him Jesus. But could you imagine if they named him something else? Right? I think we already have uh, some things. We could have named him Harold. Hark the herald angels sing. Our father who art in heaven, Harold be his name. Um, uh, I'm just kidding. But they were, his, they were his parents. They had the right to name him anything they wanted to. But God commanded them to name him Jesus. So they obeyed, and by naming him Jesus, every time they said his name, every time Mary screamed his name, Jesus, Harold, Christ, I'm just kidding. <laughs> every time she said his name, they, they were reminded of the promises of God, right? This was a very simple thing. Name the baby Jesus. You're going to have a baby. Name him Jesus. Every time they said his name, they were reminded of what God said to them. They were reminded of God's promises, and they were reminded who Jesus was and who he was going to be. So Jesus' name, if you didn't know, means God is salvation. All right? In Hebrew, it, Yeshua is probably what it would have sounded like. In Greek, Jesus, you know. So Jesus in, in English, that means God is salvation. So every time they said his name, they knew that God, through Jesus, was going to be the salvation of the world. Um, and if they had disobeyed in that, if they had named him anything else, every time they said his name, they would have been reminded of their disobedience. So oftentimes in our lives, God gives us something that's sort of simple to do. And if we obey, God gives us reminders of his promises. And if we disobey, sometimes we're stuck with that disobedience. And sometimes it's kind of hard to deal with. Um, but I, I don't want you guys to be discouraged in that. I know some of you may be thinking of things that you've disobeyed God in. I know that all of us have those things that God tells us to do that's very uncomfortable. Um, but even though God gives us reminders, I, I want you guys to know that there's still grace, that, that God still loves us. And if you're questioning that, well, that's, Carrie, that's just you saying that there's grace. I want you guys to look way back. We're not going to turn in Scripture but if you remember the Israelites in the wilderness, when Moses is leading them out and they're grumbling, it would be better for us to have died in Egypt where we had food. And Moses goes to God and God's like, hey, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for you as long as you're here. And he gives them quail and manna. Every morning they wake up, food is there. And they get to the promised land and God says, go in and take it. This is, this is the promised land. Y'all go in. This is what I brought you out of Egypt for. All right. All of these things that you have seen me do, I am doing so that you can have this land. Let's go. And they send in 12 spies and 10 of them come back and say, but there's giants. And two of them come back and say, look at the grapes. Look at the fruit. And the people are scared and they wander in the wilderness for 40 more years. But guess what they had for 40 years? Manna and quail. They still had God's provision even though they, dis they disobeyed. And I know that that had to be a reminder for them. And if you know any more about that story, whenever Joshua leads the people across the Jordan into the promised land, finally after 40 years, 
when they, the day that they eat the fruit, the very first day that they eat the fruit, the man is done. So God provides for them all the way to his promise, even though they are less than obedient. So I know we're talking about the Mary and Joseph being very specific in their obedience and disobedience. God gives us reminders, but he loves us still. All right. Um, Grace is not a tightrope that we have to walk. All right. Um, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm putting that very clear and that I'm not forcing you guys to, to have to do certain things. God loves us. Now, when we do obey, God is always there giving us his promises, right? Imagine if the Israelites had obeyed, they would have had the fruit 40 years earlier, right? Okay. Um, so God gives us very specific and individual words and commands, just like he did for Mary and Joseph. He told them both, name the baby Jesus, all right? And God does that for us as well. Um, just recently, um, I've shared this story with, with a couple of you. Um, God gave me something very specific to do, and I did not want to do it. I'm going to be real honest. I had some sort of arguing with God. Um, back in the fall, uh, God led me to have a conversation with somebody that I didn't really want to have. And I, f- I felt that the conversation could have gone a lot of ways, so I, I prayed very hard about it, and I felt that God said, have this conversation and say these things. So I did, and the conversation did not go the way that I would have liked. His, the person's response was not what I was hoping for. And that, that was it. The conversation was done. And I know that God had me to do that, but it, it, it hurt, you know? Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I just, in my spirit, I felt very, very strongly that God said, I want you to call that person. I was like, do you remember the last conversation, Lord? Because I remember it. I remember it well. And I'm sure he remembers it. Um, and I don't, I don't want to call that person. So, like, every day it seemed God was giving me words. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Don't, words like, don't be afraid of man. You know, and, and that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, God, why don't you make it so that I, I run into this person randomly at, at the grocery store or they come in my office at work or whatever, you know, like make, you make that happen. If you want me to have the conversation, you do that. And so this was, uh, I'm going to read Blackaby, Experiencing God. I'm going to read two sections of, of my daily devotion. Um, uh, th- this was Wednesday morning on the 15th, March 15th. And I just prayed, all right, God, I know you want me to do this. Help, let me run into this person. And again, I'm feeling God saying he wants me to call him. So this is very specific. So this is Wednesday, March 15th. Blackaby says, are you trying to serve God and yet ignore something he has told you to do? Okay. <laughs> are you living your life as if God does not notice your disobedience? Do you apply God's standards to yourself as, rigor- as rigorously as you apply them to others? Ow! <laughs> yes, okay. All right. And I'm still going back and forth in my mind. And I actually had this conversation with Will. And, you know, when, you're, when God tells you to do something and you don't want to do it, your mind runs through every possible scenario. So I have every possible scenario of how this conversation could go in my mind. Every single one already. 
and like what I would say. And God was like, just call him and tell him that I put you on your, his heart. Or that, that, you know, God had put him on my heart. It's like, that's just weird. Like, I, I know this person is, is a believer, but I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that should happen. So I mentioned it to Will, and he was like, well, maybe you should just call him and tell him that God had him on your heart. Oh, my goodness. So, so the next morning, I'm praying again about it. And this was in Blackaby again, my devotional just for the day. Blackaby says, as a Christian, God places you as, as a watchman for yourself, your friends, your family, and your church family. It is essential that you be attentive to what God is saying. It may be that a friend in, is in crisis and needs a word from God. As you study your Bible, God may choose to give you words of encouragement to share with your friend. It may be that as your children face dif difficult challenges, God will speak to you as you pray and reveal how you can help them. If you are spiritually alert, you may receive a warning from God that addresses specific dangers to those that you are, uh, around you are facing. If you are careless, on the other hand, your family may be struggling, but the answers God has for them will go unheard. If you are oblivious to God's message, those around you may miss the encouraging promise from God that he wanted to share through you. God holds his watchmen accountable for their diligence. And he cites Ezekiel 33.6 here, which just talks about the watchmen for Israel, that if they don't alert the people, their blood will be on the watchmen. Strive to be attentive to every word that comes to you from God. Your diligence will benefit you and those around you as you heed God's warning and follow his commands. Like, I, I just had to throw my hands up. Like, okay. Like, I, literally every single thing I read was like this throughout the week. This is only two of them. So I called the person that morning. And you know what? It was a very surface conversation. There was nothing crazy, no anger, no bitterness, no nothing. I called him. I said, hey, God had just placed you on your mind. I thought that I'd call and check on you, see how you're doing. And it was just like, it, that was it. It was like a maybe six-minute conversation. Now, what God's going to do, I have absolutely no clue. But I obeyed. And what God does with that is all up to him. But... God will do that for us. He will give us specific things in our life to say to people or to do, whatever. With Mary and Joseph, name your baby Jesus. Not Harold. Pretty straightforward. So, point number one was they obeyed God's specific word. Point number two, they obeyed God's law. Um, and to quote Bethany, before you clutch your pearls, I'm not telling you that we are to obey the Levitical law. I'm not getting legalistic in here. Um, but there are a lot of very specific and general things in Scripture that God tells us to do. So this is interaction time. Can you guys tell me some of the things in Scripture that God gives us to do? Or tells us how we should live? Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. Anybody know the golden rule? Yeah, the golden rule, treat others as you would have them treat you. Judge not, lest ye be judged. We, James has a lot of stuff in there about how you treat other people, how you love other people. So there are a lot of things 
that we are to obey that God might not be telling us specifically, but they're in his word. And if we don't spend time in his word, we can't know what those things are. So, um, okay, I'm sorry, I'm trying to read my chicken scratch because I made notes. (laughs) So, with the things that they had to obey, God gives us some very general things. And for them, that was the law. Right? We know that Jesus has come and has perfected the law. So our obedience to the exact law is not exactly what it was back then. So there were three ceremonies mentioned here um, that Mary and Joseph obeyed, and I want you guys to see what they are. Can you put back up Luke 2, 21 through, or if you could just do 22 and 23, that would be awesome. There we go. I'll just read it from the screen. So when the time came for their purification, let me back up. Not sure why there is there. The only one that needed to be purified was Mary. And women, don't take this in any way, but back then, after birth, you had to be purified. So, uh, when time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem, so him being the baby Jesus, to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. All right, so, I'm sorry, I read the, go back to 21. We're going to get to that one in a minute. So 21, after the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. So the first law, the first ancient ceremony or law was circumcision. Last week, Will said Jesus' birth announcement was cooler than yours. Jesus' circumcision was cooler than yours too. Okay, so, uh, let's go back to Genesis. I want to read where this comes from, like why this was such a big deal. So Genesis chapter 17, if you want to turn there with me or read it up on the screen. Genesis 17. So we're going to uh, read two parts of the story, but we're going to skip one part of it. So chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. So this is the covenant with Abraham and God. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. So we're going to skip to verse 9, but between 3 and 8, that's where God names him Abraham and tells him he's going to be a father of many. So in verse 9, God said, so this is 9 through 14, God said further to Abraham, That's why I told you he changed his name, so you would know it's the same guy. Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations, A servant who was born in your house or who was bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who was born in your house or who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So, Circumcision was very serious business to the Jews. Why was circumcision very serious business? 
That was the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. If you weren't circumcised, then you were not part of the covenant. Circumcision was one of the few, very few, things that was allowed to happen on the Sabbath. Jesus says, I think it's in John, I don't have the scripture reference for, the, for this story, but the uh, Pharisees are mad at Jesus because he healed someone on the Sabbath. It's like, you circumcise on the Sabbath to uphold the covenant, but you don't want me to make somebody's whole body well, right? Circumcision was very serious business. Um, by circumcising their children on the eighth day, it put them into the covenant with God that God made with Abraham based on Abraham's righteousness. What does it say? Back here in verse 17, 1 of Genesis, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. What was Abraham's part? It was be blameless. Not so hard, right? No, that's very hard. Nobody can do that. That's why the law had sacrifice. Because God made this covenant with Abraham based on his righteousness. And from then on, generation after generation, circumcision put them into the covenant. But in order for the people of Israel, God's people, to uphold their part of the covenant, they had to sacrifice every day. They had to make sacrifices for their sins, to purify themselves, all of these things. So even though... They held the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham based on Abraham's righteousness. They can't uphold that part. So, last week Will talked about uh, Mary being in wonder and asked if we have lost our wonder for God. Check what this does for your wonder. I'm going to read this because I, I, I typed it out and I don't know that I'll be able to say it just right. So Jesus began his life by being, being circumcised and joining into the covenant with the people of Israel so that he could be the one who is righteous enough to fulfill every letter of the law perfectly. Something that they could never do, something that we could never do. So, God made the covenant with Abraham knowing that the man, that human part of the covenant could not be fulfilled. So God made a way on both sides of the covenant. Does that not do something for your sense of wonder that my part of the covenant's already been taken care of? Right? Anyway, that gets me going. That, that gives me a sense of wonder. We can't do it on our own. Like, we cannot handle our part of the covenant. So Jesus was born, and the first thing that happened to him was he entered that covenant so that he could take care of our part. All right, the second ceremony that they obeyed God in, obeyed in God's law, was the ceremony of the redemption of the firstborn. This was something that I knew very little about, and it's really not mentioned very much. Um, so now, if you could put up Luke 2, 22 and 23. So, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Bless you. Um, we're going to turn again. Let's go to Exodus 13, chapter 2.
Exodus 13, 2. All right. Verse 2. Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both man and beast. It belongs to me. Every firstborn. Livestock. Humans. Everything they have to bring to the temple because it belongs to God. So the practice was the Israelites, again, everything they had they brought to the temple, every firstborn. I know Will's mentioned several times Hannah with Samuel. She brought him and left him at the temple because he belonged to the Lord. Um, And let's read again. Uh, We're going to turn to Numbers. This is a little bit more about this. It's going to get a little more in-depth, which kind of blew my mind. So Numbers 18 Verses 15 and 16. Numbers 18, 15. Every first issue of the womb of all flesh, whether man or animal, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours. Let me stop right there. He's talking to the priests. So the priests that work in the temple, right? Everything that comes in belongs to the priests. They're all the firstborn that they give. That was the priest portion. Um, Whenever Joshua was dividing up the land, the priest didn't get land. Right, They had cities within the land, and then all of that first, first fruits go to the priests. That's how they lived. So, back in 15, uh, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall surely redeem. And as to their redemption price, from a month old you shall redeem them. By your valuation, five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. In case you didn't know what a shekel was, it was five shekels is 20 geras, just to clear that up. (laughs) So they would bring the firstborn there. The priest would eat the clean animals after the sacrifice. The unclean animals, the people could buy them back, and the babies, they would buy them back. So basically a month's wage. So sort of like having a baby now, but we pay it to the hospital, right? We pay that money there, or our insurance does. So could you imagine, you have a baby, you have to bring him to the temple, and then in order to get him back, you have to pay a month's wage, right? Depending on how you get paid, one or two paychecks. It's a lot. It's a lot for me. And it was a lot for Mary and Joseph. So Luke is telling us here, um, no, he doesn't specific, excuse me, he doesn't specifically say that they paid this, but that was the common practice. So it's got to be understood that they did. I think his readers would know that. And Mary and Joseph were not well off. We've determined that, right? This, is, this had to be a lot. But they were more concerned with obeying God's law and obeying the things that God said than their financial stability. Um, most all of the adults in here, those of us that are married, We know when you first get married, financial stability is pretty tough. And that is usually what you're working towards, right? That's what we're trying to get to. Mary and Joseph were more concerned with doing what God said than having money in the bank. So, third ceremony. Purification after childbirth. So, this is another one of those that they don't really talk much about. They just sort of skim over it. Um... But I think it's important that we read uh, how they did, 
or what they did. Can you put Luke back up really quick? Verse 24. So, uh, verse 24 picks up after the parentheses. It says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two, or two young pigeons. All right. So, ladies, not only back then did your husband have to give up a month's wage, you also had to go get some animals and give them to the priest to cover your childbirth. Um, and this is something I didn't write down, but something God struck me this morning as I was looking over it. Just the fact that one of the most natural things in life is childbirth. Yet that is something that is tainted because we live in a fallen world. That is something that, that God still has to purify. Like in Genesis, after the fall, he told Eve, childbirth's gonna be bad. You're gonna have a lot of pain. So even in that, just the natural order of life, we still need redemption from. God struck me with that this morning. All right, so uh, Leviticus, let's look back at that law for purification. Leviticus 12, 6 and 8. Man, last time I preached Ezekiel and Revelation and now I'm preaching the law. Will's going to think twice about having me preach next time. All right, so Leviticus 12, verses 6 and 8. And when the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. But Luke didn't say a lamb, right? Then he shall offer it before the Lord, talking about the priest, and make atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, whether male or female, but... If she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Mary and Joseph were poor. They were poor. Um, so for a boy, she was unclean for 40 days. I think the law specifically says that after the circumcision, after eight days, it's like 33 days. And then she can be purified. For a girl, it was 80. I, that's a long time. That's almost three months that you can't do anything, ladies. Like, that's a long time. So Joseph brings Mary and Jesus to the temple probably at about 40 days after Jesus is born. Um, Jesus couldn't be redeemed until 30 days. That paying of the, uh, the money, that had to be like 31 days. I think it was exactly a month, they said. So they wouldn't take the money before that. So they, Joseph just waited probably. So that's why they go up there together. Um, but I want to point out that Luke is making sure we know that Jesus comes from humble beginnings. Mary and Joseph, like I said, were poor. They couldn't afford a lamb. So they went with the two turtle doves and the two, or pigeons, whichever. Um, and I think that Luke is putting that in there to make sure that we know Mary and Joseph were not well off. Um, not only was Jesus born in a stable, we have this humble beginnings, humble birth that we think about at Christmas. He's born in the stable simply because there's no room anywhere else. Um, but not only was he born in a stable and placed in a manger and worshipped by shepherds who were looked down upon in civilization, the nobodies, but he was also born to poor parents. Parents who probably struggled to pay 
the month, the redemption of their firstborn. And parents um, who couldn't even afford the normal cost of childbirth. So those of you that have children, like, that's a lot of stress just having a kid anyway. But then knowing you can't even afford the normal cost of it. Like that, I don't know. Being a parent and thinking about the births of our children, we planned and we had all these things and, you know, we made sure we had everything, but these guys couldn't even afford the normal. They had to go with like the dollar menu birth, right? We're going to get the turtle doves instead of the lamb. So as we're thinking about that, just thinking about Jesus coming in, he's joining in our covenant to be our part of it. His parents are poor. They've had to pay money for him. They've had to buy these turtle doves and do all these things that were not, didn't even put them at like middle class, put them below that. So the king of kings, Jesus, the creator of all things, the one who would handle both sides of that covenant between God and man was born to parents who could not afford that. Like God stepped out of everything he had and stepped into nothing. I think about Moses sometimes when God called Moses to free the people of Israel. Moses had lived in a palace his whole life. He was born to nobodies and then was put in the palace for care. And Jesus is just the opposite. Came from the palace down to nothing so that he could be everything that we couldn't be. So my last point. I don't even know where we are on time. Where did the clock go? So, their circumstance, Mary and Joseph's circumstance, did not change their obedience. Their obedience was not determined by the things they had, not determined by who they were. They were determined simply because God said them and they obeyed. Um, their obedience... All right, yeah, read my note. So their obedience, not only were they able to see God for who he was and understand that when God says it, it's good, but their obedience set the stage for Jesus to be who he was going to be. Their obedience set the stage for Jesus to know and care for Lazarus and to be able to weep with them because he was there with them. He was in life with them. He was not separated at all. And... um. We are to be obedient wherever we are. This is something that, that God really hit me with over the last couple of weeks. The phone call I had with the gentleman, it's not difficult, but I struggled with it still. Um, even though I trust God, it was still something that was hard for me. So we are to be obedient wherever we are, no matter what. Last week, Will said, it doesn't matter to God where you are in life. It matters to him if you're willing to know him and to make him known. That's it. God can use any of that. Wherever you are in life. I want to reread part of the devotional uh, from Blackaby from the 16th. And I think it's on the handout if you have the handout. I'm pretty sure I put it on there. But the last couple of sentences, it says, Strive to be attentive to every word that comes to you from God. Your diligence will benefit you and those around you as you heed God's warnings and follow his commands. So our wealth, our poverty are not excuses for sin or disobedience. 
We are to obedient, be obedient wherever we are. God is not concerned with the things we have or the things we don't have. He is only concerned with whether or not we're willing to be obedient, to know him and to make him known. Um, I have some questions that God gave to me that are, I'm not looking for answers if you want to talk about them in life group, but it's just something to kind of be retrospect or to be retrospective. Um, parents, are your children seeing you obey God? Are they seeing you obey the things God has said? Specifically and generally in his word. As we teach the Bible to our kids, are they seeing us do those things? Are we sharing the things with our family and our church that God tells us specifically and are having our kids hear it? Um, leaders, any of you in a leading role, are those you lead seeing you obey God? Students, are your friends and fellow students seeing you obey God? Employees and employers, if any of you in here are employers, are those you work with seeing you obey God? Is your obedience to God filling every part of your life? Or is there separation there? I know for Mary and Joseph, like all it was was obedience. I know this is only four little verses. And next week, Will's going to get to some pretty cool stuff with Simeon and Anna. But there's so much in here that I feel I've often just glossed over that Mary and Joseph were obedient from the get-go. Um, I can imagine as soon as Jesus was born, they were probably like, now what? We got this baby. We're not at home. We're, what, 90 miles from home? I don't have the, the cool maps like Will. Okay, I don't have them up on the screen. But like, uh, okay, what now? Well, we need to obey God. We're far from home. We don't have anything. We're sleeping with animals. But we need to obey God. We need to do what God has said. Okay, that's all I have for us. Um, wherever you are, know God. Abide. Get with him. He'll tell you what to do. And just do it. <laughs> I know that sounds easy, right? Yeah, it might be as easy as picking up the phone. Might be as hard as quitting your job. But we can trust God. Our obedience not only affects us, but we'll see it affect others. And they'll want to know God more as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. God, and thank you for the way you choose us. God, you choose to give us things to do so that we can know you more and so that the world can know you more. God, I pray that this week as we uh, go about our daily lives with our family, our coworkers, our friends, that your obedience would permeate our lives. God, and we would uh, be obedient in the simple things and the great things. God, and that that obedience would be seen God, we love you and we trust that the things you have for us are good. Thank you for Mary and Joseph and the story you've given us of the way that they obeyed the words you gave them. It's in your name we pray. Go ahead and